Hello and welcome to A Very Vintage English Murder, a podcast all about vintage murders in England. This week's episode is all about the Blackout Ripper, a serial killer in wartime London. On the morning of Monday the 9th of February 1942, the body of a woman was discovered in an air raid shelter in Montague Place, Marylebone, London, by an electrician called Harold Batchelor. The woman's clothes had been disarranged, with her skirt pulled up to her waist, her knickers pulled down and her right breast exposed. Her handbag was missing and was later found in a street nearby. No fingerprints were found at the scene. The woman was identified by her landlady as 41-year-old pharmacist Evelyn Hamilton. The day before her murder, Evelyn had quit her job of managing a chemist in Hornchurch. She had informed Mrs Maud Yoxall that she planned to leave London for Lincolnshire as she had been offered a job of managing a pharmacy in Grimsby. Evelyn was last seen alive by a waitress at Mason Loins Corner House in Marble Arch just before midnight, celebrating her 41st birthday. The police thought that she had been attacked as she walked home in the early hours of the morning. Evelyn's post-mortem revealed that her cause of death had been strangulation and that she had been strangled by someone who was left-handed. She had not been sexually assaulted, but her attacker had made small cuts on her right breast. The next day, the 10th of February, two meter readers discovered the mutilated body of a woman in her flat at 153 Wardour Street, Soho, London. She was on her bed naked and had been beaten about her chest and mouth. She had been strangled till she was unconscious and then her throat had been cut. The woman's attacker had sexually mutilated her thighs, abdomen and genitals using a safety razor blade and a tin opener. She had also been sexually assaulted with a torch that was still inside her when she was found. The police found a fingerprint on the tin opener, but this fingerprint was not on their file. They also found a piece of broken mirror that had been used in the attack which showed the murderer to be left-handed. The woman was identified as Evelyn Oatley. Evelyn was a married woman who at the beginning of the war had started to work as a prostitute alongside her job as a nightclub hostess. In the evening prior to her murder, three witnesses saw Evelyn be approached by a young, clean-shaven but with a moustached airman who had chestnut-coloured hair and who was five foot eight inches tall. The witness said that Evelyn had asked the man what his sexual preferences were and he replied he liked blondes. Evelyn's neighbour Ivy Poole was the last person to see her alive. She had seen Evelyn on the stairwell of their property with the airman at around 11.40. Ivy said that she had been woken shortly after midnight by a sudden increase in the volume of Evelyn's wireless, but she did not investigate this. Margaret Lowe was last seen on Wednesday the 11th of February in the corridor of her flat with a client, but it wasn't until the afternoon of Friday the 13th of February that her body was discovered by her 15-year-old daughter Barbara at her flat at 11 Gosfield Street, Mary Lebon. Margaret was found on her bed underneath her quilt. She was on her back with her legs open and her knees bent upwards. She had been beaten and then strangled with her silk stocking that was still tied around her neck. Her body had been mutilated with the murderer using items including a razor blade, a vegetable knife, a table knife and a poker. Margaret's abdomen had been open exposing her internal organs. One wound on her groin measured 10 inches in length. 
She had been spl- slashed around her groin with a bread knife and a wax candle had been inserted into her vagina. Forensic pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsby, who examined Margaret, said that the murderer was a savage sexual maniac who indulged in a wicked lust to perpetrate the most diabolical injuries on the woman he killed. He said there was no doubt that Margaret's murderer was the same person who had killed Evelyn Oatley. Margaret had last been seen by her neighbour Florence Bartoli at around 1.15am on Wednesday the 11th of February. Florence said that she was in the corridor of their flat with a client and that she had later heard the man leave Margaret's flat and walk out onto the street whistling to himself. Margaret was originally from Southend-on-Sea, Essex. When her husband had died in 1932, Margaret had sold the family business and placed her daughter in a boarding school and moved to London where she had taken the job as a, as a house cleaner. Shortly after this, Margaret became a prostitute using the name Peggy Campbell. Barbara would visit her mother in London every third weekend where they would spend the weekend going to the cinema or visiting local landmarks. On Thursday the 12th of February, 25-year-old Catherine Mulcahy was approached by a man looking for a good time. She agreed to take him back to her flat in Southwick Street and they travelled there by taxi. The man gave Catherine the agreed £2 fee in advance. Back at her flat, Catherine undressed but left her boots on. She lay on the bed and beckoned the man to join her. The man removed his clothes and then climbed on top of Catherine. He put his knees on her stomach, pinning her body down with his body weight and started to try and strangle her. Catherine managed to fight her attacker off, kicking him in the stomach and breaking free from his grasp. She ran to her neighbours to get help. The man got dressed before going to the neighbour's flat. He gave Catherine eight more pounds, saying, I'm sorry, I think I had too much to drink this evening. Catherine repeatedly shouted out that she thought he was a murderer, so the man left, leaving his RAF belt in her flat. Catherine would later tell the police that the man had a strange smile on his face as she removed her clothes. The next evening, Friday the 13th of February, Henri Gianni returned home to the flat that he shared with his wife Doris and found their bedroom door locked. Henri tried to get the door open, but he couldn't, so he phoned the police who sent PC William Payne to help. P.C. Payne managed to get the door open and in the room he discovered the body of Doris. Doris was lying diagonally across her bed naked apart from a black nightgown that was open at the front. She had a silk stocking tied around her neck. P.C. Payne returned to his police station so they could alert Scotland Yard about the murder. Detective Leonard Clare attended the scene. When he examined Doris's body he found that her jaw had been broken Her abdomen, genitals, thighs and left breast had been mutilated in a similar way to Evelyn and Margaret. A 16-inch cut ran from Doris's navel to her genitals and there was a a 6.5-inch cut to her vagina. The flesh beneath her left breast had been carved away. The knife the murderer had used had been placed on Doris's thigh and two used condoms lay on the floor next to her bed. A gold watch and about £5 had been stolen. Doris would only occasionally engage in prostitution. She married her husband Henri, who was actually a former client of hers, in 1935. Henri was a manager at a hotel in Sloane Square. He would give Doris money, but if she needed a few extra shillings, she would sell sexual favours. She would only do this, though, when Henri had to stay overnight at the hotel. The murders had not been mentioned in the press that much up to this point, 
This was due to wartime restrictions on newspapers, but the prostitutes around the West End knew about the murders and were becoming reluctant to offer their services to men they did not consider a regular client. On the evening of the 13th of February, an 18-year-old delivery boy called John Shine, who was delivering bottles of drink to the Captain's Cabin pub, came across a man rifling through a woman's handbag. He also noticed an unconscious woman in a doorway. The man ran off leaving his RAF issue gas mask and haversack behind and John went to help the woman. John said he would take the woman to the hospital and on their way they met PC James Skinner. They told PC Skinner what had happened and he suggested that they make a statement at the police station first and then he would accompany the woman to the hospital. The woman who had been attacked was Margaret Hayward. She said that she had met the man who attacked her in Piccadilly. They had shared a sandwich and a drink at the London Trocanadoro before walking in the direction of Haymarket. Margaret said that at this point, the man she had with had started to become forward with her. He pushed her into a doorway and started to grope her, trying to get her to go to a nearby air raid shelter with him. Margaret said that she had consented to one kiss with the man, but told him she would not go to the shelter with him. He then began fondling her, so she pushed him away and tried to leave, but he grabbed her by the throat and strangled her unconscious while saying over and over again, you won't. Before giving his statement, John Shine gave the police the gas mask and the haversack that the man had left at the scene, which John had taken with him. Inside the haversack was an RAF measurmental number, so the police contacted the Royal Air Force Police, who in turn contacted the regiment the number was for. The staff sergeant at this regiment confirmed that the gas mask and haversack had been issued to a Gordon Cummings. Gordon Cummings was born on the 18th of February 1940 in New Earswick, North Yorkshire. His parents were John, a civil servant who ran a school for delinquent youths, and Amelia. He was the eldest of four children. Gordon received a private education at Landovery County Intermediate Secondary School in South Wales, where his academic performance was described as unremarkable, though he did manage to achieve a diploma in chemistry when he was 16. In 1930, Gordon went to Northampton College of Technology, but he dropped out in 1932. When he was 18, Gordon moved to Newcastle and got a, a job as an industrial chemist, but he was fired from his job after five months. He then worked at a tanner in Northampton before being fired from this job after 13 months. In October 1934, Gordon moved to London, where he developed the desire to live the life of an aristocrat. He would say he was the illegitimate son of a peer and started to speak with an Oxfordian accent. He insisted on being referred to as the Honourable Gordon Cummings. In 1935, Gordon joined the RAF. At his regiment, his superiors thought him to be ambitious, but his fellow servicemen did not like him. In May 1936, Gordon met Marjorie Stevens and they married at Paddington Register Office on the 28th of December. Cummings was stationed at various RAF bases around the country until January 1942 when he appeared before the Royal Air Force Selection Board to take an aviation exam. He passed this exam and was transferred to Regent's Park. He was ordered to start there on the 2nd of February 1942. The police questioned Gordon on the morning of the 14th of February about the attack on Margaret Hayward. 
He, of course, protested his innocence. He said that he had spent the previous evening at a pub in Baker Street drinking whiskey and bitter with a corporal whose name he could not remember. He said he had a hazy recollection about having a conversation with a woman and walking down the street with her but had no recollection of having attacked her. But Gordon expressed his regret at Margaret's attack and offered to pay her compensation. After he had given a written confession, Gordon was arrested and charged with GBH. After Gordon's arrest, the police started to look into what he had been doing the past week. They found that Gordon and his fellow airmen on his base would often cover for each other when they sneaked out at night, and they found out that Gordon and another airman called Felix Hampson had sneaked out of the base by a fire escape on every night one of the women had been murdered. Police searched Gordon's possessions and found items belonging to Evelyn Oatley. They found her cigarette case and a picture of Evelyn's mother that Gordon had taken. Traces of blood was found on one of Gordon's shirts and on one of his belts and traces of a distinctive brick dust that was from the air raid shelter where Evelyn Hamilton was found was found in his trouser turn-up. They were able to match the fingerprint found on the tin opener at Evelyn Oatley's murder to Gordon and then they managed to match his fingerprint to ones found at the other murder scenes. The police found out that some of the £1 banknotes that had been given to Kathleen McKay were brand new and they were able to use the banknote serial numbers to determine that they had been issued to Gordon on the 12th of February. Catherine McCarthy and Margaret Hayward were both invited to view a police lineup to see if they could identify their attacker. Catherine was unable to identify her attacker but Margaret picked Gordon out straight away. On the 16th of February, Detective Chief Inspector Edward Greeno interviewed Gordon who protested his innocence and said that he had never met any of the murder victims. The police asked him about the victim's belongings that had been found in his possessions, and he said that they had been taken from a service respirator case that he was carrying when arrested, but which was not his. He said that he must have picked up the wrong haversack, or that someone had switched a haversack and gas mask with his. Detective Greeno was not convinced with Gordon's claims, and told him that he would be back the next day to charge Gordon with the murders of Evelyn Oatley, Margaret Lowe and Doris Journey. On the 20th of February he was charged with the assaults of Margaret Hayward and Catherine Marquet and then on the 27th of March Gordon was charged with the murder of Evelyn Hamilton. While Gordon was in jail waiting for his trial he wrote to his wife. In the letter he wrote, although I don't know I think I must be guilty, the evidence is overwhelming. Gordon's coming trial began at the Old Bailey on the 24th of April 1942 though due to a legal technicality on the first day, the jury was excused and the trial was restarted on the 27th of April with a new jury. He was only tried for the murder of Evelyn Oatley. This was so if he was acquitted of Evelyn's murder, the police could charge him with one of the other murders. Gordon entered a plea of not guilty and seemed to be uninterested in the legal proceedings. After the prosecution and defence had presented their cases, the jury retired at 4pm to consider their verdict. They did not take long returning at 4.35 saying that they found Gordon Cummings guilty of murder. The judge, Mr Justice Asquith, sentenced Gordon to death by hanging. Gordon was taken to the condemned cell at Wandsworth Prison. He did lodge an appeal against his conviction but the Lord Chief Justice rejected it. Gordon Cummings was executed at Wandsworth Prison on the 25th of June 1942. 
His execution happened during an air raid and he is the only convicted murderer in British history to have been executed during an air raid. The police later said that they believe Gordon was also responsible for the murders of two other women that happened in 1941. On the 13th of October 1941, the naked body of 19-year-old Mabel Churchyard was found in a bombed-out house by workmen. She had been strangled with her cami knickers by someone who was left-handed. She had not been sexually assaulted. Four days later, 48-year-old Edith Humphreys was found barely alive lying on her bed. She had been hit around her face and head before her, her attacker had attempted to strangle her. Edith's throat had been cut and she had been stabbed in the head of a knife. She died shortly after arriving at hospital. At the time of these murders, Gorston was based in Wiltshire, but he was known to have frequently visited London staying in St John's Woods when on leave. Thank you very much for listening to A Very Vintage English Murder. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you join us again next week. 